Hi, welcome to James Miller Lifeology, where you learn to simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. My name is James Miller. I'm a licensed psychotherapist and a composer. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Let's get started. I have a great show for you today. I'm going to help you remove dysfunction from your life. I'll also be interviewing life coach Zena Contreras in a two-part series. In this first episode, Zena shares her story of overcoming an abusive family system and finding self-empowerment. In the second episode, we'll be discussing ways to maintain your motivation. Be sure to listen to both episodes by going to jamesmillerlifeology.com. For more information about Zena, please visit askzena.com. I have some exciting news. Did you know that I'm on the radio three times a week? You may hear me on the same station on Tuesdays at 1.30 p.m., Fridays at 9.30 a.m., and Saturdays at 12.30 p.m. You may also hear me anytime on iHeartRadio as well as on all the other major podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many others. Simply search for the show name, James Miller Lifeology. Are you currently in a leadership role or just find that people naturally expect you to lead? If that's the case, then I have a great resource for you. My good friend Rocky Romanella has written a phenomenal book which will help you be a balanced, authentic leader. His book, Tighten the Lug Nuts, The Principles of Balanced Leadership, will help you recognize your moment-by-moment choices that determine the kind of leader you'll be. Rocky uses his over 40 years of experience in supply chain, logistics and transportation, retail, sales and operational management at UPS, and his CEO and director roles to explore the way a true leader can add value as a trusted advisor, mentor, and visionary who uses a process approach to lead the organization and its people to new levels of success. Written in an easy-to-read format, this book will morph you into a more powerful, balanced leader. You may purchase this book, Tighten the Lug Nuts, The Principles of Balanced Leadership, on Amazon or jamesmillerlifeology.com. For more information about Rocky, please visit 360management.com. That's the number three and the words 60management.com. Removing Dysfunction We all at some time in our life will experience some form of dysfunction. That can be in our family system, in a relationship, at work, or in random situations in life. It's important for us to realize that the dysfunction that we're experiencing is not who we are. Unfortunately, certain circumstances can dictate that to us. They can tell us if you are in an abusive situation or abusive relationship, that is your worth. That is your value. Remember, a situation you've experienced is simply an event. It's not who you are. If you use that label of that event and think that's who you are, unfortunately, that's as far as you're going to go. For example, if someone tells you you're dumb all the time, then unfortunately, the label you've used is that you're the dumb person or the ignorant person. If you're in an abusive relationship and that person always hits you, then your self-esteem and self-worth is going to be of that of a person who deserves to be hit. Or even at work, if you find that you're in an abusive relationship with your boss who continually asks you to do things in a degrading manner, or it's an unhealthy dynamic. What do you do? One of the most important things to do is to surround yourself with individuals who are not dysfunctional. It's important for you to realize that there are people who are, quote, normal, that will treat you well, that will honor you, that will give you the respect that you deserve. Many times people think, James, I don't know people. I don't know how to interact with other people. And until you can do that, what type of things you read or listen to that are inspirational? There are so many podcasts out there today that you can listen to that will inspire you. There's so many self-help books out there as well. If you find that you're in dysfunctional situations, it's really important to instill some form of hope in your life. Because once you can start to have the strength within you to find your inspiration, to find your self-worth, to find your value, it helps you finally say enough is enough. Sometimes in situations, we're not able to physically remove ourselves from a dysfunctional event. But what you can do is you can remove your emotions or your thoughts from that event. If someone is yelling at you, what is your self-talk? How do you counteract that? If you believe what they say, then unfortunately that's who you will become. If someone says something berating to you, 
Your self-talk could be, that is not who I am. You do not know me. You do not have the right to tell me what I will or will not be. That internal monologue will help strengthen you and pull yourself away from when situations happen. And of course, if you're physically able to remove yourself from an unhealthy situation, that is the most empowering thing you can do. The problem is, is that when we get stuck in these dysfunctional situations, we often forget that that's not healthy because it becomes the norm, because it becomes what happens all the time. And pretty soon we just get beat down. I want to encourage you today that if you step back and look at the relationships in your life or the many situations in your life, and if you feel as if you're not being treated in a respectful way, or simply you don't feel really good after you hung out with somebody, that may not be the healthiest relationship or situation for you. You get to decide what's the most functional relationships or situations, but it is important for you to realize that if you are in one of these situations and you're not able to step away, use your internal self-dialogue to counteract whatever it is you hear. Daily inspire yourself with inspirational content that will bolster your strength to help you realize that your worth is so much greater than what these dysfunctional situations say. Remove the dysfunction from your life. Are you struggling today to find your purpose? Has mediocrity set in and you can't imagine doing the same thing for the rest of your life? Are your relationships struggling or you aren't sure how to make long lasting changes in your life? Then today, contact me, James Miller. I will help you recognize the areas in your life that are going really well. And then we'll look at the areas in which you are struggling. We will create actionable solutions to help you create long lasting changes in your life. You don't have to do this alone. Go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com and click on the page, work with James. Fill out the form and it will be sent directly to me. Don't let another day go by without finding your way. Your change can start today. Once again, go to my website, jamesmillerlifeology.com and click on the page, work with James. Fill out that form to get started today. Zena Contreras is an author, speaker, coach, and intuitive with over 20 years of professional consulting and coaching experience. She is an expert in human resources, recruitment, human behavior, branding, and business strategies with an emphasis in motivation. Zena has a reputation for delivering and exceeding clients' expectations. She is recognized for her ability to identify individuals' potential, uncover hidden beliefs, and remove stumbling blocks. She's joining us today in a two-part series. In this first interview, Zena will share her personal inspirational story of struggle to triumph. In the second part of the series, we will explore her methodologies of coaching and how she helps her clients. Stay motivated to accomplish all of their dreams. Welcome to my show, Zena. Yes, thank you so very much. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I'm looking forward to hearing your story. You have a very inspirational story, so I know my listeners are going to really be blessed and inspired by all you have to share with us today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited to share. Now, the person with whom I'm speaking today was not how you grew up. It sounds from what I read that you experienced a lot of abuse and struggles as a little girl. Could you tell us about that? Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I have to kind of go back to how I was born because it, it's um, it actually is symbolic for the life that I that I lived as a child. So my mother was a teenage uh, mother, mm -hmm. and she was married to my father, and they were out partying. And uh, on September 14th, I decided to make my entry into the world, and on the Harbor Freeway in Los Angeles. My mother gave birth to me, oh, a wow. convertible Mustang. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my mother, I love her to death, um, had an instrument in her in her purse and uh, cut the umbilical cord. And by the time they got to the hospital, uh, literally just handed me off to the nurses. Oh, my gosh. And I say that that's symbolical because my mother and I didn't have a chance to bond. And so mm. her being a teenage mother and that, that sort that ordeal, we really never had a chance to bond. It wasn't into our later years that we did. But that sort of 
dramatic entry into the world and those struggles and that craziness that probably ensued that time actually sort of permeated my whole childhood. Um, I grew up in a family that is multiracial, uh, and that was a struggle. And I grew up in a family that um, that we experienced uh, incest and molestation, and it was it was very very prevalent. But it was something that was not discussed ever discussed. And so at the point that I realized that this was not the norm, mm-hmm. uh, I started to ask questions and I started to be labeled the problem child. Because you ask questions? Because you're trying to figure this out? I, I was trying to figure this out, but I was also trying to figure out why, why this was happening. Yeah. I mean, and was it just happening to me? It felt at the time that it was just happening to me. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to me, it was happening to cousins, and it oh, was nice. happening to, to my, my aunts, um, and it happened to my mother. But how they labeled it, and I would have to say they, my grandfather, my mother's father, labeled it was, oh, she's just a liar, or mm. that didn't happen, or, you know, she's crazy. Um, at one point, um, my grandfather actually committed my mother um, hospitalized her, uh, institutionalized her when she was, I think, about 13 years old. And that's why she sort of ran away and became a young parent. Because he said that she was lying, and so that's how he yeah. got her committed? Oh, my to gosh. Protect himself. Oh, my to gosh. Protect I'm so sorry. So traumatic. You know, it, it is. Um, and as we get through my story, you'll understand that it has really been my fuel. Mm-hmm. And it has really been... Uh, the the vehicle that I use to be able to do what I do right now and talk and help other people. So I, it is, it is very traumatic in some of the situations that, um, that I was placed in without having the right abuse, um, right protection and suffered the abuse. People would say, oh my gosh, how, how, how could you have endured that? How could you have lived through that? Did you get on drugs? Did you do these other things? Mm-hmm. I never did that. Um, fortunately for me, I have always had faith. I had a great grandmother uh, that became my best friend and my mentor. Oh, and we used to sit and pray together as a little girl. And I would just go into those moments. But imagine a child being abused almost every week mm. uh, by different people. and 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 let me just, it wasn't all penetration. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just have to be very honest sure. with that because some people think, well, they just touched me. Or they, I, I really need people to understand the scope of this because you would be surprised at the number of women and men mm-hmm. who have had these experiences mm-hmm. in their early childhood. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it goes from the whole aspect of you have grooming and different behaviors to have the child do something to full on rape or molestation. So there's a full gamut of what that looks like. And so that is something where many people will fall on somewhere on that spectrum. And so it sounds like you were all over the place when it comes to the spectrum of what you experienced. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't have earlier memories. I didn't know when it actually started. My sister and I are seven years apart. I remember she was a baby, and, and there's some specific incidents that I recall uh, as her being a baby, and then people watching her, and then things happening to me. But as I uh, did my own self-reflective work, I realized that it happened at a much earlier age, so sure. probably at the age of maybe 
two or three, mm-hmm. um, up until the point when I was about 16. Now, it wasn't as frequent um, at that point because, like I said, I was labeled as the black sheep and the problem child. Uh, I, start, I started acting out. And mm-hmm. uh, in the second grade, I started ditching school. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and here's what I did. I would walk to school. I've always been a very smart person. I would walk to school and turn around and walk back. And I would go sit in a closet because at night I was scared, you know, who was going to come in there at Mm -hmm. night or what the circumstances. So sleep really wasn't my friend. So I would go back home and sleep. But here's the interesting thing that I that I want to mention. And now I hope that this has changed. In the second grade, you have a child that's missing a quarter of the school year and no one reached out. No one asked. I could go to school. I could take a test. My report card, no parent ever said, well, this says you're missing for 38 days and no administrator, nothing. And I thought, how could that be? Yeah. Yeah. That lost child, literally that lost child and nobody reached out. Yeah. Now as a black sheep here, a lot, seems like a lot of it was because you rebelled against this because you, you just did not conform to what this dysfunctional environment said that you should do. Absolutely. Yeah. You ended up dropping out of school as well, correct? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I started ditching school in the second grade. Uh, fourth grade was a very good year for me. I had a wonderful teacher in the fourth grade. Uh, sixth grade was not a very good year. Seventh grade was not a very good year. I don't even remember the eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Ninth grade, I was a very good year for me. Tenth grade was a very good year. And then the eleventh grade is actually when I dropped out. And uh, my mother moved so often that I checked into this one high school. I think it was a total of around six times. And when she checked me in in the eleventh grade, the school administrator said, "Oh." you're here again. And I thought, I didn't like the way that felt. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That was not very inviting. Yeah. So when my mom walked off and drove off campus, I, uh, I literally walked off campus and lied about my age and got a, a sort of a store trainee job at a local convenience store and worked my way into management and management trainee. And, um, then just started my career in human resources. Yeah. Did you find that there was a legacy? You know, you look at your mom, she was young when she had you. And I know you are the proud mother of two amazing young boys, or two boys now, young men, I should say. Um, yeah. When, did you find that there was a, a repeated family legacy of perhaps your grandmother was, um, and I don't know obviously the story of your grandmother, but does she perhaps had you, had your mom as a young child and then your mom had um, a child had you as a young girl, and then you had your boys, perhaps young as well. Did you find there was a, a repeated family legacy that, that transpired in your family system? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I believe my grandmother was young. Let me go back just to tell you a little bit about the biracial situation. So my grandfather was African-American and French Creole. He looked like an African-American man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he looked like he was black, uh, had that dark complexion, rich skin with hazel eyes. And my grandmother was French Creole, more on the French Caucasian side. So mm. she was blonde haired, blue eyes, um, and they and they got married at an early age in Louisiana. So that's the South. Looked like a black man marrying a white woman, mm. and they immediately moved to California after suffering their own 
um, sort of, you know, discrimination. And then growing up in this environment in California, you had to be one or the other. You had to be black. You couldn't yeah. be, uh, you know, Creole or you couldn't be a mix. It had to be Hispanic, black or white. Mm-hmm. And so they elected to to raise the family as if we were black. Now, that's very confusing when most of my aunts are, you know, sandy color hair or sure. auburn hair or hazel eyes or blue eyes and you're saying you're black. Um, and that was not really acceptable by most of the African-American people mm-hmm. in the community. So not only did they have their own struggles with the incest, they had their, their identity struggles. And so that perpetuated throughout all of my family and even into my generation uh, I've done a lot to correct that with my children, sure. but that was a lot of the confusion. So you have identity crisis and you have, you know, crisis at home where you're not feeling protected or safe. And so it was just a very dysfunctional. I know that that is a overly rated, overly used word, but it was dysfunctional. It was incredibly relevant for you as well. I mean, because like you said, you, nobody had their place. And so without with that insecurity from generations... That insecurity then perpetuates or creates more insecurity, more insecurity. And unfortunately, like you said, it created this dysfunctional dynamic. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did you go from, uh, once again, let me back up. So this aspect of you as a drop, just drop out, or you dropped out from high school rather. How was your self-esteem in that respect? So you, you went to the school, they're like, oh, you're back. That didn't feel good. You left, you start to find your own way with human resources through these different types of jobs. How was your self-esteem as you started to find your own way in life? So it's interesting. I uh, have struggled with self-esteem, but I have always had confidence. Like I always knew that I had the capacity to do something. Mm -hmm. I learned early on after ditching school that I could go into into the classroom and ace the test and get a C or a B and have passing grades. I always knew that. So with that, that actually fueled me to almost be a little bit crafty and a little bit manipulative <laughs> in in my manner. Um, just being very open and transparent, I think it's so important for people to understand that. So I was able to use that and leverage that, uh, let's be honest, by lying about huh? my age. <laughs> you had to do what you had to do, right? <laughs> yeah, by lying about my age, by talking my way into situations where People really didn't question. I never had anyone question my level of education, mm-hmm. even in working for the entertainment industry or anything. Everyone just assumed that I had a college degree. They just assumed sure. that I was an educated person. And because I've always been an avid learner, that's always you know worked in my favor. Yeah. Well, I think it's also great too, because that's probably why you're so successful with, with what you do with the human resources and coaching as well is because you come from a place of, um, of security of you present a certain way. You're able to read the room, if you will. And with that comes a sense of people just trust you, people open up to you. And then as throughout your life, as you've created your own expertise, those elements really work together. So that convincing aspect, as well as uh, now the, the expertise that goes along with it creates this amazing life coach, amazing uh, person in front of me today. Thank you. Yeah, that is absolutely wonderful. So you've reinvented yourself several times. I know you're a published author, inspirational speaker, philanthropist, and now you're a spiritual life coach. How did you kind of morph your way into these different areas of your life? Again, because I've always had a connection and and, in faith and in spirituality. And I knew that 
there was something more for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to go back just to one experience that actually changed my life. And I just found out recently, a couple of years ago, that that I possibly was in foster care. And I'm not really sure. I can't really oh, confirm really? that. But I was in Catholic school. I think this was probably the second grade. I was in Catholic school. And mm-hmm. the nun said, if you keep missing school, I'm going to have to fail you. And I really liked this this nun. Uh, I I loved her serenity. I loved. I just felt safe and protected around her. And so I purposely failed the second grade. Imagine oh, interesting. That. Yeah. That Imagine is... that a second grader. What what age is that? Eight. Yeah, seven or eight. Yes. So I purposely failed the second grade. My mother partied a lot, and the summertime came, and the nun was very proactive and was able to allow me to live at the convent and mm. St. Christopher School in West Covina. And I lived there for a week, and then it caused a little bit of a ruckus. And so then I moved from the convent, and I went to a family's home that I didn't know. I went mm. to some strangers, and it was a, a husband and wife, and they had two teenage boys. And I was very scared because I wasn't sure whether the boys were going to do to me sure. what had happened to me before. Mm-hmm. But but when I lived in the convent, I learned about faith and about I had a name now. And <laughs> That's I great. It was you know God, and I knew how to pray and I knew how to meditate. I knew how to sit in silence. So that week gave me some really fundamental tools that that still permeate in my life today. Wow. But that family, let me tell you what that family did for me. The first night we sat down and had dinner together which is something I had never done, sat at a table and had dinner like a family, a normal family. And the mother walked me into the bedroom. I had my own room and I had a beautiful home with a pool and I had a balcony to the pool. She saw that I was scared. She sat with me and she said, it's okay if you lock the door. Oh, wow. And that was the first time I felt protected. But it was powerful too. the first time that I saw normality Mm. what i perceived as normality and the structure of a family so with that that sort of fueled me and my curiosity like people don't live this way people don't live the way that i've been living and so that's when i also started to rebel and ask a lot of questions because i saw another side of how people live and it felt really good and so i was chasing that yeah and I love that 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 was probably very empowering for you to hear that you're in control of that night or you're in control of yourself in that room because you could lock that door at any time. And that's probably the first time you felt so powerful and so safe. Wow. It, I, I, I get chills now. The mm. fact that I was empowered yes. in the second grade, even though what had happened and, and, and I think that I stood there for probably another three weeks. I was in summer school for a total of four weeks and then uh, I left and I went to go live with my father's parents or something. I was always bounced around between my mother and my father's parents. But that was amazing. And to think that that destiny was carved out before, you know, mm. all of this stuff started happening that that I knew at that point that, that I definitely had control over my life. Yes. And, you know, we, even though you went back into that dysfunctional relation or a dysfunctional dynamic of your, of your family system, that was now the foundation, that sense of empowerment. And that seed was planted and it germinated throughout your life. And then now here you are today. Yes. 
That's awesome. Well, Zena, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on my show. I know this is my listeners. Stay tuned for the second part of this series. Zena, if my listeners would like to find out more information about you, where would they find this information online? So I do have a website. It's called AskZena.com. And I am have a big presence on Facebook. I don't do all the other uh, different social media sites, but I have Facebook.com backslash AskZena. I have a personal page. And then uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn. You can find out about my professional background on LinkedIn as well. Wonderful. Zena, I can't wait to hear the second part of the series where we talk about your methodologies and how you help and inspire all your clients as well. So my listeners, stay tuned for this next show. Zena, thank you so much for joining with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Blessings to you. I also want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you joined with us today, or please go to my website where you may sign up for my free newsletter, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, or you may enroll in the Lifeology Academy where you can take self-directed courses which will help you simplify and transform your spirit, mind, and body. If you'd like to personally work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, simply visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support and I'll talk to you soon.